in the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week as we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. So I'm covering a very delicate but important topic today, and that's porn. I had planned on discussing this subject for a while now, but I was waiting for the right guest because I'm really not the right person to cover this topic on my own. However, I do need to address it because I have had a handful of single clients who talk about what a big issue porn is with men today. And I've had married clients whose husbands either watch porn or who were at one point addicted to it, and they feel that it is affecting their sex life. So you might say I've stumbled upon America's porn crisis. I, I just didn't want to address it by myself. So then I found the person I wanted to talk to. His name, or rather his brand, is King David, and he is the world's only quit porn strategist. David is a young man with a big dream to burn down the $97 billion worldwide porn industry, one man at a time. Pretty audacious, I'd say. Makes my work seem easy. David's history with porn dates to his teenage years and before. Though he's out of his teens now, every year more young men are still discovering the world of porn, and David wants to help them find the exit. His website is enroll, E-N-R-O-L-L, enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Suzanne. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm, and it's great to have you here, I should say. I'm, I have to say, right off the bat, I am really impressed with you. Um, I discovered you from my friend, Will, and I think that for, for, for those of you who are listening, a couple of weeks ago, I had Will Spencer on. So if you have, and he, he has um, a website called The Renaissance of Men. And if you missed that podcast episode, it's not that long ago. So you can find it when we're done with this one. But he has a podcast as well. And that's where I found you, David. And as I said earlier, I've been wanting to cover this topic, this so important, so sensitive, so I hope what will be helpful, um, a podcast episode on, on porn. And when I heard your interview with him and just to warn anybody, if they want to go back and listen to, to um, <laughs> to David in his, um, uh, podcast with, in the podcast with Will, it's four hours long. So just have a heads up there. This is not going to be nearly that long, but, um, okay. So let's just start David by telling people your story. You started, so, so young with all of this. So how long were you watching porn? What happened when your parents caught on? Just tell us just the gist of the story of who you are and how you got here. Yeah. So the gist of the story, well, first that formal introduction, my name is, well, I go by King David. My name is David and I am the world's only quit porn strategist. I help men in their porn addiction in 30 days or less. And I will be the one who holds the match that burns the porn industry to the ground. Ambitious. I know. How am I going to do it? We haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so as far as my story goes, I first saw porn or at least pornographic images around the age of nine. And at that time, it was just exploring wallpaper apps for an iPod touch. And as you know, on apps, you can see the app previews. And one way or another, I found wallpaper apps that were explicit or pornographic in nature. Now, the wall, the previews themselves were not explicit, but as a nine-year-old dude, right, you're seeing essentially women's breasts all out with just stickers covering, covering their nipples. I mean, not much else is left to the imagination at that point, but seeing something like that for the first time was exciting, arousing, and then also very confusing because you, you, body is responding in a way that... Mm -hmm you know, was not explained to me at such a young age. Um, so nine years old was the first time seeing anything. Let me stop remotely. you right there, David. Sorry. So what, yeah, what, no did you, what did you type in or what did, how did you land there? 
I don't remember specifically what was typed. I think it was just a matter of looking for wallpapers for an iPod. And one way or another, there was one that had an attractive woman on the app icon. And I would have clicked it and scrolled down to the wallpaper previews and thought, oh, man, what is this? I mean, instantly, like any kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And did you have a computer? Was it a – we had for many years a rule that no, there can be any – any machines in anybody's bedroom. So we have two kids, my husband and I, and we're now empty nesters. So they're grown, but you, there was only one, you could, you'd have to be in the first floor of the house. So everybody could kind of see right what they were doing. So was that not the case in, in your house? Uh, when- we had, I mean, we had a computer room, but that was where dad would do his work. And it's not like, I mean, I would play games online. Well, not online. I'd play like, you know, old school you put the disc in the computer, you download the game. So I, yeah. I wasn't online an awful lot. I think around that time I might have had – no, I don't actually think I had a DS around that time at all. So it would have just been um, – it was actually my younger brother's iPod, interestingly enough. And we were – or I was just scrolling through things, looking at it. And lo and behold, innocently, like you said, stumbled across uh, borderline pornographic content. And then from there it escalated to the point where um, – realized like oh i can type in you know boobs or whatever it was and youtube and again it wasn't explicit content or at least i don't remember it being explicit on youtube uh, but fair warning you can find pornographic content on just about any platform yeah. even if it says it doesn't allow nudity you know because people will post things and they'll go under guidelines or it may it, it gets taken down but i i remember finding full-blown porn on instagram closer to the age of 16 but, you know, we'll get there sooner or later. But, yeah, at the age of nine, you know, no TVs in the room, no computers in the room, uh, all, you know, all wired up. So I had to be in a specific part of the house. So having the iPod, which was connected to the Internet and had no restraints or parental controls that I could can remember there being on there. But that's the tricky part, right, is parents are not thinking that their young kids are going yeah. to seek out porn. And the truth is your young kids aren't going to seek it out but it they're going to, to stumble on yeah. it one way yeah. or another okay i mean it's inevitable right i mean if you want to you know the the social media algorithms one of the first thing they're going to push is going to be attractive people and that is just naturally going to funnel to more explicit more provocative content and then sooner or later your curiosity is going to get the best of you and then you're going to be turning to google images and you're going to get the full picture which is eventually what happened so, okay, so keep going. So so you're exposed to it for the first time around nine, and, and then take us from there. Right. So first exposed to it around nine, I think the first time being caught would have been, oh, let me think, I, around 11 or 12 years old. And at that time, I think it was just uh, parents checking internet browser history for one reason or another, and the gist of the conversation being, don't do that again. Um, and of, you know, being, being raised by parents that are more on the strict side, you know, there was a healthy fear of, okay, I'm not going to do that again. But as time went on and the threat of punishment kind of just disappeared naturally, the curiosity was then stoked again. You know, next thing I know, I'm looking at more explicit content. Um, and when I say explicit, I don't mean like you know, because of the nature of porn, right? And I, I've talked about this plenty of times prior with a porn addict, the same content that you first looked at is not going to be the content that you're addicted to. So, but I mean, at, even at that time, you know, 12, 13 years old, whatever it was, it was still essentially just photos of bare-breasted women. You know, nothing too extreme, but nothing that a 12, 13-year-old boy should be looking at anyways. And we're going to have to get somewhat... Uh, well, not graphic necessarily, but you know, specific here. Um, right. W- at what point did it gr- did it graduate from just seeing it and then being so enticed by it, you're actually doing something about it? Probably. Oh, probably. I mean, I would. I don't. Well, without being too graphic, but also communicating, I, I don't think I would have masturbated to pornographic images. Probably closer until thirteen, fourteen years old. Yeah. Um, would have you know, probably masturbated to thoughts of the photos, but for whatever reason, there was not a connection to, oh, you mean I can masturbate while I look at the photos? Uh I don't think Uh that realization, if you will, happened until later, a little bit later down the road. And not too much later, only about a year or two later. 
but it would have been thinking about the images and then fantasizing over them and then masturbating to them without looking at the content. And it's probably just because, you know, there was, oh, I'm not going to bring the device into the bathroom just because right, I was, yeah, right, either right. wasn't allowed to or would not have thought to do so. And um, if you did think to do so, it would be really obvious what you're doing or why would you have a computer in there? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, before I go back and start to really get into this, go ahead and finish, finish your story in terms of where you got to where you are now and then we'll kind of go backwards from there. Yeah, no worries. So... 13, 14 years old, uh, I was prop. I can't remember if that was the worst of it, but I do know that I was looking at it quite frequently, uh, if not once a day, sometimes even multiple times per day. And there were times, you know, where I would sit on the family couch and I would be browsing through photos. I wouldn't be doing anything while looking at the photos, but I was ballsy enough to do that in the presence or in the close proximity of family members. Um, around that time also probably was caught again. And, you know, told like, hey, you're not allowed to be on the Internet. And if you're going to be on the Internet, it's going to be on the computer. And the computer screen is going to be facing in a direction that mom and dad are able to see. Because up until that point, it all would have taken place on the iPod, an old phone, or even on the Internet browser on my 3DS back in the day. So it was very easy to be secretive about it and hide that. I can't remember what specifically led up to being caught. But, I mean, I will say, you know. Women have killer intuition, and I think part of it was just mom suspecting, hey, Mm -hmm. something's going on, and we need to look into it. You know, and dad being more hesitant, like, oh, come on, he's not going to be looking at anything. Um, Lo and behold, I was. So getting Mm -hmm. caught and getting punished, and there was no communication about that. Um, There was no walking me through why I'm responding to those photos in that regard. It was just what you're doing is wrong and equating it to a sin and you're going to be punished Mm -hmm. so that you don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not have kids, but I do know that when I do have them, the extent of what I'll do and the, you know, I'll I'll talk much more openly about porn. I'll let them know like, Hey, porn is out there. Um, I'll have a very direct conversation Mm -hmm. and I mean direct in a way that they'll be able to understand, but I know I'm not going to wait until 12, 13 years old to talk to my kids about it. I'm going to be having that conversation much, you know, with them when they're much, much younger, probably Mm -hmm. maybe even closer to seven or eight, you know, because right now the statistics say the average age that people, boys are exposed to porn, the average age is 12 but I, it's either 10 or 20% of individuals first saw porn around the age of six. And I've actually worked with a man who's 26 years old and his first time seeing porn was six years old. And then it spiraled into an addiction from there. So being 26 with a 20 year long porn addiction, um, you know, I mean, I've worked with men who are 30, 40 and their porn addiction is 20 years long, but you know, he's doing, he's doing much, much, better now as a result of the coaching or whatnot but i bring that up more as an anecdote and like yeah i will have this conversation with my kids at a much much younger age and much much sooner than many people would assume or even recommend to have that conversation so 15 to 16 still would have been you know venturing into porn i think around that time i probably would have started watching porn videos for the first time so it was always just images or photos or stills or whatever Um, And the reason why was because, you know, I am religious, I am a Christian, and I Mm -hmm. knew what I was doing was wrong, so I didn't want to, like, fully engross myself in it. So I refrained from looking at the videos for as long as I could until the novelty or the Coolidge effect took over and was like, hey, you need to look at a little bit more to get the same level of arousal or excitement or dopamine out of that experience. Uh, So 16 years old, I also would have started sexting for the first time. Uh, which that thrill in and of itself was unmatched compared to porn because it was actually interacting with a woman or as far as I could tell a woman, I do know I had been catfished once or twice, probably more than that in the past, but you know, that's what happens when you turn to um, not chat sites. It was an app called whisper and I'm sure there are still horny people on whisper trying to send nudes, get nudes. And you know, a lot of the time with people that are underaged, whether or not both parties are underaged, you know, I yeah and yeah so 16 17 would have been caught up in sexting and watching porn I remember there were instances where I would stay up late uh, because I was I was at least smart I say smart lightly 
Um, yeah. When I was in the habit of sexting, so there was no way in hell I was going to do that with people that were locally. You know, there was a reputation to uphold at least. So I would turn to chicks that lived, you know, on the other side of the world or the other side of the state. So there were times where I'd be up until two, three in the morning, you know, exchanging nudes and nude videos with chicks. And then in absence of waiting for the photo, I was turning to porn or Pornhub in between. So it would be chatting someone up, watching porn, getting photos from them, watching porn, sending photos of myself, watching porn, getting photos of them, um, so on and so forth. Okay, I'm gonna pause right there for a second. So you're talking. You said you're around 16 at this point. Yeah, 16 or 17. And so would it you started say, at 16? Yeah. Okay, and then was the majority of this? I mean, I would imagine it, it would have had to have been at two in the morning. Yeah, okay. later in the evening. And in the evening. I mean, there. I was. I was homeschooled, so there were a few times that you know it would happen earlier in the day, but that would be on the contingency that the person I was messaging was either going to sleep in their time zone or had a day off or something, you know, just because yeah, of school because or whatnot. The reason I'm asking is because I'm just wondering what, what, ha- what was going on with your parents at this point? Were there, I mean, wouldn't there have been signs? Oh, they were- would have been asleep. They would have been asleep. And no, I mean, because the last like time I got caught, that. I was punished. I got better at hiding it. Yeah. But are there any other signs aside from catching you in the act that would be evident? Like the first thing I'm thinking of when you're saying this, having just right. Raised- kids is that you'd be really tired the next day because you were up in the middle of the night doing something well with my homeschooling schedule i was not required to wake up at a given time um so it was pretty routine that i was getting up up closer to nine ten anyways so the fact that i was going to bed so late uh was not much of a hindrance on you know school or performance and Okay. Um, so I wouldn't have really been waking up tired anyways, because it was waking up at my expected time. Because if I wasn't watching porn, then I was probably just looking at memes, to be honest. It was either porn or memes. Sometimes it was memes more than porn, but, you know. You mean sexual memes? No, just like, just, just normal memes, just funny memes. Okay. It was either funny memes or porn. <laughs> okay, so keep going. Then what happened? Uh, 17, I, 17 years of age, I would have realized that it was becoming a problem and not just that, like, I always knew that it was a sin, but a problem in the sense that, um, it was happening, you know, either, like I said, either once a day or multiple times per day. And even to the point where there were times where I would skip, like, I remember vividly, there was one time family was going to go to the pool and I loved going to the pool on a hot summer day but I was in the middle of sexting with someone. So I skipped on going to the pool so I could, mm-hmm. you know, stay home and do that. So I realized, and you know, and that's a classic sign of addiction is when something is then interfering mm-hmm. with your normal life. And I mean, sure. The whole staying up super late, that would be indicative of interfering with normal life, but staying up late, whether I was watching porn, playing video games or looking at memes was my, normal life that was me functioning normally at that time so it wasn't until i realized like oh i'm like doing this when i should be with friends or with family members that i started to realize that i had a problem and then of Mm -hmm. course you know at the age of 17 realizing that you can't get an erection unless you're looking at porn is also indicative of it being a problem so i've you know effectively had erectile dysfunction at a very Mm -hmm. very young age and that's not supposed to happen like that's not supposed Uh to happen at all under no healthy circumstances should a 17 year old boy have erectile dysfunction. No, of course not. So I would have started to, you know, Google what does porn do to the brain? And I would have started to research what's going on and how it's interfering with the reward systems, how it's making structural changes to the gray matter in your brain. Um, and then even the concept of addiction itself. And of course, you know, you're, you're thinking of addiction and you're wrestling with the fact that, Oh, well, addiction usually means that you're, turning to a drug or you're turning to a substance and nobody um, is going to look at porn as a drug. And yes, you have platforms like fight the new drug that are explicitly addressing porn as a drug. I personally will tell you that porn is a drug, but if you're to Google whether or not porn is a drug or take to any search engines, you're going to get the, the, the research is going to be inconclusive. You'll have some people that will say porn addiction is real. And then you'll have other people say that porn addiction is not real. So there's no conclusive, hard set answer that says porn addiction is real. So there was that doubt and that wrestling where it's like, okay, well, I'm looking at photos, I'm looking at videos, 
and not fully comprehending what an, an addiction is at that age even. But then also just it's not common knowledge. It's not talked about. Uh, it was not talked about. It wasn't talked about in the churches that I was going to. And if it were addressed, it would be addressed in the extent of saying, you know, looking at lustful images online. Everyone knows that's porn, but that's still beating around the bush and you're not being direct about the issue. Well, and um, if you and if you had to and we'll get to this later, but you said you had to rewire your brain, essentially. And so anytime you're yes. rewiring your brain, you are fixing something that could be very easily labeled an addiction or something right. that's gone awry in your thinking and in your behavior. Right. Right. Well, and that's even, you know, to touch into that wiring process is your brain is at baseline before you start to watch porn. And then when you start watching porn, you're going to be wiring it for an addiction because porn and your brain's response to pornographic images and your brain's response to having an orgasm from masturbating to pornographic images, is going to mimic the exact same circuitry that dopamine is or it's mm -hmm. going to mimic the exact same patterns that when an addict of a drug is, you know, engaging, mm -hmm. they're getting dopamine, it's running through their reward circuitry. And the same exact things happen in the brain of a porn addict uh, because it's based off of dopamine. Um, and that's the tricky part is everyone. And this is one thing that I'm so adamant on talking about is not just if you want to get into the technicality of it, you're not addicted to porn. You're addicted to the insane amounts of dopamine that porn is giving you. Mm -hmm. Porn is a super stimulus in the sense that there is nothing else like it that is any is remotely close to the level of dopamine that you're getting while you're watching it. And part of that is, you know, you want to you want to you want to go way back and look at this from a primal level where the fact is your brain like I said, on a primal level, it exists to serve two purposes, for you to stay alive and for your genes to stay alive, for you to procreate and have kids. So when you eat food, your brain is going to reward you dopamine so that you know to eat more food in the future so you don't starve and die. So when you have sex, your brain is going to reward you with dopamine so that you have more sex so that your gene pool does not die off. So what's happening is in that primal brain, it's seeing a fertile, eligible woman, and it's thinking we need to procreate so that our genes can stay alive. That's what's going to happen when you're looking at a real naked woman, and that's what's going to happen when you're looking at a pornographic image, so a, you know, a naked woman on the other end of a photo. But you have to keep like the Coolidge effect, novelty, which I touched on a little bit earlier when I mentioned you and I eventually evolved into looking at videos. So novelty, the Coolidge effect, is the fact that when you're looking at one porn image, you're getting dopamine from that singular image. And then the next image, you're getting more dopamine and then more and more and more. So what ends up happening is you'll like no dude is going to find one photo and stick with it. He's going to look at hundreds, if not thousands of photos in set, you know, in very quick period of time. And I can even recall from my personal experience, right? It was never just, unless it was a photo that I was really, really enjoying in that moment, I was, scrolling through like constantly scrolling through picking up new uh, new clips new videos new photos new angles anything so more and more dopamine from that alone so it's a super stimulus in that regard because if we take this down to the level of just having sex there's not nearly as much visual stimulus as compared to what you're going to get scrolling through thousands of no and we're gonna and we're gonna come go. back to that we're gonna come to that because i want to focus on on how porn affects relationships which is right kind of my whole thing okay so just just quickly sum up your story so by age 20 you said you essentially gave porn up right yeah at age 20 um at a young age yes yeah, so you, got, you got on it fast oh really? yeah no, yeah no I, I tell yeah. dudes that's one of my big things is telling dudes like if you were young and single then quitting porn should be your top priority in life yeah. because you cannot evolve you cannot become the man that you're supposed to be if you're wrestling with an addiction and you're not going to become the man you're supposed to be if you're wrestling with a porn addiction and one of the things that i talked about with will spencer on the podcast episode i did with him and things that i talk about on my twitter account is how porn is going to affect you on an energetic level and you know I, I say this, porn addicts, you're not going to know what I mean when I say energy. You're not going to know what I mean when you're with a woman or you're looking at a woman or you're interacting with a woman and you're, you can feel your masculine energy. You can feel that attraction. You can feel that 
reciprocating with the woman that you're with. If you're addicted to porn, then you're not going to be able to dwell or project or even use your masculine energy because you're wasting it because it builds up and then you turn to porn because you're feeling a certain way. Uh, and, and two, right? Like I'll tell people, you don't watch porn because you're horny. You watch porn because you're hurting. Yeah. So what ends up happening yeah. is think of it like this. There was at one point in time. Say that. Wait a minute. I want you to stop. Hold on. Before you explain it, say that again. Yeah, no worries. Totally, I want to make sure everybody got that because it's really important. Say it again. Yeah, absolutely. You do not watch porn because you're horny. You watch porn because you're hurting. And the reason I say that is at one point in time, you turn to porn when you were stressed or when you were anxious or when you were depressed. And then you watched porn, you had an orgasm, so your brain rewarded you for that experience and it realized, hey, we did this after we felt anxious or depressed. So you're mm -hmm. reinforcing that habit. So one thing that I tell my clients and I tell people all the time is when you get the urge to watch porn, you need to stop yourself and you need to ask, why do I feel this way? What is this urge coming from? What What's at the root of this urge? And if you sit, it well, not you don't have to literally sit, but if you sit and think for a second, why do you want to watch porn? It's never going to be, oh, well, I'm horny. Oh, it's because I want to have sex. I was talking to one of my clients today in a in our chat conversation. I was telling him, I was like, you need to ask yourself why you want to watch porn when you believe that it's because your sex drive is, you know, is taken off right now. If you concentrate and if you you know, practice awareness in those moments, you will realize, you will realize that there's a difference between the want to watch porn, the desire to watch porn, and the desire to have sex. Those are two completely different feelings. Um, I even wrote a tweet today talking about, you know, you watch porn not because you're aroused, you watch porn because you want to be aroused. Yeah. And an interesting thing happens in the brain when you watch porn is the fact that the lateral orbital frontal cortex, which is responsible for logical thinking and rational decision making and response to emotions like fear and anxiety, that part of your brain is inhibited. It shuts down. So that's why when you're watching porn, you never have the thought or you never act on the thought to click the red X button, despite the fact that you always can. I mean, porn is arguably the easiest substance, the easiest drug to completely cut yourself off of in the middle of experiencing the high. Because it is literally just a click away, or you can shut the screen off, or you can close the laptop. There's nothing that's preventing you except for your own mind and your own logical awareness from watching porn. You know, your every every the strategies or the description that you just gave of uh, stopping yourself and asking yourself why and what are you looking for could literally be applied to any addiction. Yes, oh, absolutely. Whether it's alcohol, food. Um, drugs, uh, gambling. Uh, I don't, I don't know what else is there. Um, it doesn't matter because the whole purpose of the addiction is to take you out of your life and put you into another space oh, to calm you, to calm you and to, to, um, you know, to escape. And so asking yourself why and getting to the root of that is where obviously the answer lies, but if you skip that step, you're just going to keep repeating it over and over and over again. Right. Well, and one of one of the tricky parts with, you know, with really any 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 sex addiction or porn addiction is the fact that there's so much shame shame attached to it. So what ends up happening is when men get the desire to watch porn, their instinct is to run from it. Their instinct is to go bust out a set of push-ups. Their instinct is to deny themselves to feel that way. One thing that's important for people to realize, for men to realize is, again, you are not watching porn because you're horny. You're watching porn because you're hurting. But to take that a step further, the desire to watch porn is not the desire to watch porn. It's the desire to escape. It's the mm -hmm. desire to cope. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is, well, it's a desire to alleviate a buildup of negative emotional tension. Yep. And you turn to porn because it's a physical release. It's a release of physical tension. But what happens is when you have the urge to watch porn and you tell yourself no, you're not just saying no to watching porn. You're saying no to allowing yourself to dive into those emotions and figure out what's causing that buildup. So you need to be very careful 
in that dialogue internally, you, need, you almost need to validate. And this is one thing that I tell my clients is when you get to the urge to watch porn, you almost need to tell yourself, yeah, I want to watch porn. And you could even tell yourself, yeah, I want to watch porn because then you're allowing yourself to feel what's going on behind that. And then you want to dig in. Like, why do I feel this way? Why do I want to watch porn? What's causing this urge? What's causing this desire? And I don't know. And I if you mean, guarantee it, it's not going to be because you're corny. I don't know if you mean literally saying that to yourself. Oh, I, I actually mean in your head. I, I recommend yeah, that people. There's something say that, that happens when you actually verbalize your thoughts, and none of us do that nearly off or if ever. And when you do say out loud what you're thinking and feeling, wow, what a difference it makes. You say right. you feel kind of funny doing it right at first. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have clients that tell me that all the time. And, and I, I teach them this in one of my quit porn strategies. It's called meta separation. And meta separation is the process of actively separating your thoughts from your what I call the addict brain, which is the part of you that wants to watch porn and will do whatever it takes to watch porn versus the sober mind, which is you, which does not want to watch porn. It wants to be done with it. So I, I tell them it's this way, and you can even think the sober mind, you're, you're using meta-separation to keep the lateral orbital frontal cortex on because the easiest way to combat the urge to watch porn in that moment is going to be diving into it, and then it's going to be, be maintaining a logical awareness of the situation. Because if you can keep your logical awareness on, you're not going to go watch porn, or the likelihood of that happening significantly decreases. So with meta-separation, I, it's, it's, I tell people you want to speak it out loud because it's your sober mind speaking to your addict brain. It's it's vocalizing, it's manifesting that disconnect between those two sides of you. So is this what you figured out for yourself then over time? And yes, and yeah, meta separation is something that I came up with on my own. Um, it's a mix up of a bunch of different other things. It's positive thought work. It's metacognition, thinking about thinking. It's also a little bit of what people do to treat OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, because all addiction is a form of obsessive compulse or obsessive compulsion, because the obsession is something that causes anxiety and the compulsion is something that you do irrationally that alleviates the anxiety caused by the obsession. And that's what all addictions are. So in my attempt to look at how to treat addiction, I found, you know, how people treat OCD. And then I borrowed the concepts of the two of those things and mashed them together and then effectively created meta separation. Uh, I believe if you go on and Google meta separation, you will find something about water, fil fil like filtering water. So it's, yeah, it's, it's my own, okay. my own discovery. So, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the, the meat of this, which is what I'm interested in. That's how porn affects marriage or relationships. Now, we were talking about this before we went on, you know, I'm an old married lady and uh, <laughs> you're a very young single guy, but that's okay because I want your expertise in the porn area. And then I'm going to talk about what I'm seeing on my end with my clients and then see if we can sort of come together with that and be helpful. Yeah. Okay. So, so the reason why I'm even doing this episode is because I, I work pretty much primarily with millennials, not across the board, but maybe 80%. And I'm learning about porn pretty much through them because us Gen Xers, you know, just like, I don't even know where to begin. Like basically growing up, I'd see a Playboy in my parents' house, you know, or my dad's room or whatever, you know, something, I guess, with my dad. And that was sort of normal in my day. And you just... That was um, that's just so innocuous compared to this. So that's right. what I, that's my only background at my age. But then I think I first saw like you know some teenage boy put a porn on, and I'd like walk through the room at a party, and it was on. You know that kind of exposure. But actual engagement, of course, with it in in this kind of prolific way was obviously the internet, and that's came much 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 later. So millennials and younger have have grown up with this. So years later, I'm getting them in their 30s, let's say, some of them. And um, if they're single, they are talking a lot about, um, you know, men who do, men who engage in porn. And then if they're married, I have had several clients whose husbands either currently watch porn or have in the past. And they believe it is still affecting 
their relationship. And that gets into what we were alluding to earlier about really what the difference is between porn and an actual real relationship with a woman. Right. Um, That's kind of obvious. This doesn't really require, I mean, it's just kind of obvious, but what will, I know that notice that will asked when you guys talked on his podcast is because he engaged in porn for a spell when he was younger. And he said, you know, real human sex is nothing like porn, of course, but how is a boy supposed to know that when the only thing modeled for him is its opposite? Um, So, so when you, since you have, since you had experience from such a young age, did you, I don't know, it's so hard to imagine being a nine-year-old and being exposed to this. Did you think this is what sex was? I mean, how does a boy delineate between what they're seeing and like what their mom and dad do? <laughs> is it right. sort of obvious? That's or not the same with what goes on your head. Right. That's, that's the hard part about it is um, that's, that's the, that's the dark side of porn addiction, right? Is, and that's the, that's the, that's the tricky part with anything that we look at, we conceptualize and we base our understanding or our perception off of something from a an experience that's not ours, right? Is your brain, if you, any, like if you, well, what I'm getting at is I know that I have thoughts and perceptions that linger in the back of my mind that are not right. But when you know, being a young guy, right? When the thoughts of sex or whatnot arise, the concepts in my mind, it's piecing together memories from porn. So my idea, you know, because I'm a Christian, I'm saving myself until marriage, and I'm not just doing that because a book told me so. I'm doing that because I believe that that is what is best for my soul and my spirit and my energy as an individual is to wait. Um, so because I don't have practical firsthand experience, my perceptions of sex is based off of what I've seen from porn. Right. So as a kid, as a young man, I don't remember that, recall that being an issue. Uh, I was not, you know, actively pursuing, I mean, unless I was on whisper, I was not actively pursuing um, women or sexual relationships because that was wrong. Of course, watching porn and, you know, sexting wasn't. Oh, I see. So it's it's tricky, but I, I I touch on that, and I and I have not articulated this very well. It's it's something that I will be touching on in the future, just because I believe it's a little more esoteric. But it's the fact that, like I said, in my brain, there are things that I will visualize that is a memory of porn, but my brain thinks that that is what you know sex actually is, because that's the only thing that it can draw on and what it can reference on. Um, and of course, the the damage there, right, is the fact that the best way, and, you know, according to how I believe and firmly believe is the, you know, the best way to experience sex is going to be in the marriage covenant where you are safe to express and explore and figure that out. You're not supposed to be experienced, right? As the right. Red okay, so, let's, let's, into. so let me tell you exactly what I've been told. So you just have to kind of imagine this and then, you know, just talk about the the porn and his brain and, and, and the, uh, the addiction and the, you know, what you do, which is to help people stop. Um, you'll have to think about it from that angle, but it's hard for the women to feel like they're not being objectified by somebody who either is currently using porn or has in the past. Right. And they know that. And so they're not able, they, first of all, they feel that, their man isn't able to connect to them. Right. Right. And they always feel like a body instead of a human soul, like looking deeply in her eyes and connecting with her. Um, Yeah. There's yeah. Instead of uh, it being something that's rote that you're going through the motions and using the body. And that's, you know, that's serious business because really once you're, once that's happening, then you're really not having intimacy or connecting. You might be having sex and going through the motions, but the, close, right. the closeness isn't there the way it's meant to be there. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm sitting here with you right now and having this on is to basically help tell, tell her, tell them, tell the world what, what can, a, how can a husband determine first, he's got to work with you if he's addicted, obviously, but yes, let's, that's the, let's that's the go-to. <laughs> yeah, that's the go-to, but let's assume it's in the past. 
or he thinks it is. How can a husband determine if he's done with it for good? And how can a wife know that that's true? Um, uh, I know this is kind of hard because you're not married, but I just mean it from like, what would a man do um, to, to hide? What would the signs be? I guess kind of thing so that the person can be confident that it's over. And does he have to go through a program like you offer to, to really be done? And would you question anybody who doesn't? Do, can it be done on their own? I guess is my question. There are a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> that I want to address in there. Um, okay. One thing, you know, I, I think you mentioned, you know, the woman feeling objectified and like the man is just having sex. I, I think part of that is the fact that, for a man, sex is, it is an objective. It, it is more something that we do. It is more something that is pleasure driven. Um, the, the, the individual that I've learned this from the best is at the Prometheus on Twitter. His name is Adam Lane Smith. He is a marriage and family psychotherapist. He's worked with tons and tons of people, but the thing that he talks about is women bond through the chemical release of oxytocin in their brains. Men bond through the chemical release of vasopressin in their brain. When a woman has an orgasm, it's going to flood her brain with oxytocin, which is going to pair bond her with the man that she just had sex with. When a man has sex, his brain is going to release predominantly dopamine, which is going to, you know, reward him a job well done. It's also going to feel well, I mean, both orgasms, you know, experiences are going to feel like a high, but it's very different, right? This is mm-hmm, why very. when a woman orgasms, she wants to cuddle and mm-hmm. watch movies. And when a man orgasms, he wants to go eat food and go to sleep. So sex serves two different purposes. The ultimate goal, right, being connection, procreation, and pleasure. But it's two very different things for a man. And one thing that's tricky, and I, I noticed this with working with Christian clients is the fact that they it, they feel like it is inherently wrong um, when they are objectifying a woman. And I mean, at the end of the day, as a married man, you do want to look at your wife and want to have sex with her purely because you want to have sex with her. And of pause, course, pause the, a second, and also know what works for her, not that woman that you saw on the screen where they where it's all fake. Because whatever right. you think works on a woman physically probably doesn't. If that's your gauge right. for it, right? Yeah, there's 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 so many. I mean, and that's the other thing, right? So women need to recognize that for a man, sex is more of an act, and but men need to recognize that for a woman, sex is a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know, right? There are there will be men that will be emotionally driven in that, and they yeah. will yeah, it is connection connected for men. It is closeness. For men. So yeah. it's that's so that intimacy is true on both ends, but yes. especially for a man, one thing that he has to learn is that sex. It is supposed to be an emotional, it's supposed to be a spiritual connection with that individual. So this is one thing that I help my married clients work through is they'll think to themselves like, oh, well, I'll go out and I'll see women that are more attractive than my wife, but they know they're not going to cheat on their wife because they love their wife. And one thing that I'll tell them is, okay, so when you see a woman that is more physically attractive than the your wife one thing you need to remind yourself is that a lot of the attraction that you have towards your wife and the reason that you married her is not just because she's got a smoking hot bod, but it's because she's a good woman. She has the characters, the morale, the standards of which you admire and love her for so that her personality, her intellect, her emotional being and her spirituality also plays a very strong role in the attraction, but because your brain is so wired for porn. And this is, this is the tricky nuance, right? Because I said you don't watch porn because you're horny. You watch porn because you're hurting. But the matter of the fact is porn is sexual in nature. So there's going to be sexual repercussions regardless of what the inherent reason for turning to it is. So one thing that I tell men is like when you see a woman that's more attractive physically than your wife, you need to remind yourself that you're also attracted to your wife because she loves you and you love her. And if you have children, if she's the mother of your kids and she's doing things that an attractive body is not going to do for you. So it's to really like dwell and focus on that and to appreciate her as an individual. I've had clients where I'll tell them, it's like, you need to list out five things that you love about your wife that have nothing to do with her appearance. And if you're having issues Mm -hmm. in your relationship, go and speak those to her and tell her what you're appreciative of. And if your sex life is dwindling because there's a lack of connection, well, guess what? You go and you tell your wife what you're appreciative of her. 
she's probably want to go to pound town later. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that phrase before. Yeah. That's usually what I refer to with my clients. Like when you guys go to pound town, town. (laughs) Oh my God. My husband's going to love that one. That's funny. Okay. Okay. So would you agree with this statement then if you are married and you think you have to think about porn Oh, if you have to think about porn or you're having sex, then you have a problem. During sex problem. with your spouse, yeah. And I yes, yes. then you have a problem. Then you 100%. have a problem. So, Absolutely. Okay. So that's a that's a good gauge for all now, what do you say to couples who say, Well, we just use it for fun together? I, I hate those couples. I they're lying to themselves. Um, they are not able to connect with one another and it's probably it's probably the woman who is compromising and the fact that she doesn't want to watch porn, but she wants her man to be aroused because there's intimacy and emotional connectedness issues. She thinks that just the fact that she's, you know, receiving sex from him, that means that he is connected to her in that moment. And that's not the case. It's, it's the woman is either compromising or they both are, you know, they're both without being too, you know, mean about it. They both have issues and they're beating around the bush and not re- addressing those issues. Mm-hmm. No, you're not watching porn because it enhances your sex life. And one of the reasons why they're going to believe this is because they're being programmed by the new studies that are coming out that say porn is healthy. Porn is good for your brain. Porn is good for your relationships. No, that is, that is, you know, that's new thinking to justify a problem and off and also to feed the, you know, the giant that is the porn industry. They're making $96 billion globally every single year. You know, so of course these studies, and then you have people that think that studies are unbiased. All studies have a bias, guys. Come on. (laughs) For sure. And I'm going to read the same statistics that that Will did that I wrote down here, because I I know that your goal is to burn down the porn industry, which is a very lofty goal. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I was was telling everybody at the beginning, that makes my work look like a piece of cake, and I thought mine was lofty. Okay, Um, I'm going to read these statistics first, just to give everybody a, a... you know, an idea of what we're talking about here. And then I want to talk about what's happening with women, unmarried women and what they're experiencing. Cause this totally shocked me as well. Um, in 2020, 50% of 11 to 13 year olds, 65% of 14 to 15 year olds and 78% of 16 to 17 year olds reported having seen pornography in some way. According to another survey in 2020, 38% of women under the age of 40. So that makes the millennials. Millennials are millennials are now 25 to 40. Under 25 is my kids' generation, which are generation Z. Have experienced unwanted, I'm gonna say that again. 38% of women under 40 have experienced unwanted slapping, choking, gagging, or spitting during consensual intercourse. And I have to say, you know, not to sound completely out of touch, but I mean, I I can't, I just can't even conceive of anybody our age, my age relating in any way, shape or form to this. This sounds so bizarre. It's like from another world. And as somebody who doesn't consume porn, is that the Norman porn? Yes. Yes. That's the like all of those things are part of porn. Cause in my day, if you saw something, like I said, on your way in a party that, you know, on TV or whatever, it was, people having sex, but none of that. So, so it's just graduated, right. I guess, over 40 years, <laughs> 40 years. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. I, I must be really out of touch. I mean, you don't have to look too hard to find, you know, porn pornos that are rape and whether or not it's planned rape or actual rape. No one really knows. Uh, it's all up to the, the creators of the video. And of course there are videos up there that are just straight out, sexual assaults and videos of actual rape that is actually happening. Uh, And this all ties back to the Coolidge effect, where the fact that the normal stimulus that your brain was used to, it requires more because what's happening, and this is what happens with all addiction, is the dopamine is going to run through the mesolimbic dopaminergic reward system, or just the reward system. And each time the dopamine runs through it, your brain is going to withdraw or take back some of the dopamine receptors because it's too much dopamine. So what ends up happening is as opposed to what normally what the you know the norm for drugs is you need more of it with porn you don't just need more of it you need different you need more exciting you need more extreme content so this is why I'll tell people you start off with the vanilla titty pics 
Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're watching the weird, you know, what are you doing, step bro? Or anything, German dungeon porn for crying out loud. And and what happens is with these men is they know logically they're not attracted to these things. But that's the porn they have to turn to because that's what arouses them. That's what gets them to the level of excitement that they need to experience so they can have an orgasm and climax and reach that reward at the end of the day. So that's why that's yeah, that's that that explains the statistic there. And it's also just a matter of the fact that people are not going to assume that one of the healthy components of or excuse me, one of the components of a healthy sex life is communicating. Uh, there is no communicating in porn. Nobody's talking about, oh, do this because it feels good. It's just one person is doing one thing and the other person is responding to it. And then there's the matter of the fact that you're looking at porn that is specific to a genre or a fetish or a kink where it's just assumed that the, both parties are enjoying it. So what ends up happening is you take your understanding of sex, your your preconceptions of it, and you're applying that to actually engaging in the act. And you're just assuming, oh, well, I watch videos where the chick's getting choked out. So I assume that my partner is going to like that. And because in the video, the man does not ask, hey, do you like being choked? He's not going to ask that in real time when he is having sex with someone. He's just going to assume that that is what is acceptable and he's going to act out on it. Uh, and like I said prior, again, to, to, to reiterate, one of the most important components and aspects of a healthy sex life it's going to be communicating with your partner. Mm-hmm. There is no communicating in porn. No communicating in porn. That's a really good, important distinction. And that's, yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I was saying before, is that you're, that, that's how these women are feeling, that they're not, they're like, they're just a body. They're just a yes. body. Uh, there's, there's no soul. There's no connection. And there's no communication. Communication is an important word. It's a right. key word. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh one, thing that I, one thing that I want to touch on, you, you asked this a little earlier and I didn't get to address it, so I want to speak on it now, is with, you know, this is more so for women who are in a relationship with a man that has a porn addiction. One thing, and it's so hard to grasp this unless the woman has a porn addiction or struggles with porn, which unfortunately is becoming more and more common as time goes on. One third of all porn viewers are women. Uh, which is shocking, I know, but that's what's happening. The advice that I have, and again, it's hard to wrap your head around this, but he is not watching porn because you lack something. He's not watching porn because he doesn't think you're attractive. He's not watching porn because the porn stars have something that she doesn't have or anything like that. He's turning to porn predominantly out of the chase for dopamine And because he does not know how to handle his emotional well-being. He doesn't know how to deal with stress. He doesn't know how to deal with anxiety. He doesn't know what to do when he feels depressed. You know, because one way or another, the men's self-help, the men's improvement, what we call the manosphere, or what I referred to with Will on his podcast, which is a much better name, the renaissance of men. I know. I love it. We've done a great job at bringing awareness to the masculine self-improvement journey Mm -hmm. but there are still deficits in dealing with your emotions in a masculine way because emotional stability and control over your emotions is one of the hallmarks of a masculine man but it's still discouraged it's still discouraged um so what happens in a relationship is the woman is going to experience because it's sexual in nature this is where it gets tricky this is why there's so much nuance to porn addiction He's watching porn because he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions, not because he doesn't think you're attractive. Um, Because I've had men who have healthy sex lives with their wives, but after having sex, they will then get the urge to go watch porn. Well, you ask yourself, why must this be? It's because they want more dopamine. That's one thing that I have to help my clients through as well is what will you – it's just, there's so much it's 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 so mental it's so mental um but that's my biggest piece of advice for women is understand so women that man yeah, yeah is not turning to porn because uh, you lack something uh and you know i've had i i've had married clients before and one in particular um yes you know the addiction it causes issues in a relationship as all addictions do but his wife was so sick and tired 
of him dealing with porn and not being understanding of the issue that she was not supporting him through it instead degrading him through the process where homie just, you know, broke down in tears on the call because he was struggling. He was hurting and his wife was neglecting that and not showing any compassion, any support and just sick and tired of it and wanted him to be done with it. You know, and I which want, is terrible, which is it, terrible. It is terrible. And I think the, you know, if I wonder if there's a way to think of it in terms of, you know, the, for the woman whose husband is either currently struggling or has in the past and you think it's still affecting it or whatever. It's really no different from being married to an alcoholic or in this one respect in terms of, except that it's sexual and so it affects you and it involves you. I mean, so it's massively different on that end, but I mean, in terms of conceptually that you do those things, drink, eat, watch porn, gamble. You do those things just like you said, because you're not in control of your emotions and you need something to do with them. And that means it isn't connected or related to the person you're married to. But of course, sex with the porn piece, it involves you having sex with the person, whereas the alcohol doesn't. So it's really interesting because the, because the underlying problem is the same. It's just the manifestation is right. Right. Interesting. Yeah, and it's as far as, you know, married men that may have had a porn issue in the past affecting the relationship, uh, it's going to come, it's, it, it will really come down to his perception of sex and what he is turning to sex for, what he's looking to get out of it. I mean, that's going to come down to communicating, asking some hard questions and really just diving into it. Like if the wife feels like I feel like I'm just an object when we're intimate, then you know, express that, have that conversation. Um, and again, part of that's going to be understanding that for men and women, sex is different. It's fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you guys got to communicate, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I'm sure is a lot of what yeah. you do is encouraging healthy communication. And that's something that I've done with my um, married clients is to encourage that healthy communication. One thing one thing that I've learned through the process of coaching that I did not think would be beneficial is, well, there's a trade-off. You don't want your accountability partner to be your wife, but I have married clients that have done this and they've seen benefits in their sex life and in their marriage is, and well, I guess I preface this. I don't exactly recommend that people use a street tracker where it's like, Oh, I've gone without porn for seven days. Because when they relapse, they feel like they're starting over, which then causes them to binge, which makes the problem even worse. But I have seen some couples where the wife will have the streak tracker on her phone as well. So she knows it's been this long since he's watched porn. And that will allow her to realize he's not looking at other women. He is looking at me and he wants me. And it's been this long since he's seen or done or whatever it may be which can help to encourage connectedness or at the very least help her connect to him again i don't always recommend that um just because like i said for the men the streak tracker can be a terrible idea because they may go they may reach their longest without it and they may have a relapse and then they may feel like absolute garbage and then the shame from that will cause them to relapse even more um if that is the case for the guys that are listening and you just ruined your biggest streak, that the thing you need to do is learn from the relapse. Ask yourself what led up to it. Why did that happen? What was I thinking and feeling before the relapse? What was I thinking and feeling during the relapse? So what specifically was the porn making you feel? And then what can you do to prevent it from happening in the future? And then Also, what can you do to mimic the feelings that porn was making you feel in the real world so that you don't have to search it out artificially? So that's the nuance with the streak tracker. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, Okay. So so. I was – this is interesting because I was going to ask you – the last question I had for you was about your 31-day quit porn mastery program, which I wanted you to tell everybody about. But it sounds like partly what you were just saying is related to that, no? Yes. So I work with men – one-on-one with my 31-day Quit Porn Mastery Program. If you're interested, go to enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. Take a look, hit the green, the big green button, apply to work with me. 
Um, but the the way the program is structured, the reason it's 31 days, well, I mean, the reason it's 31 days is because I've worked with men and they no longer need me after 31 days. It is a program where you're going to have access to all of my quick porn strategies, all of my material. It's going to walk you through the why you're addicted, and it's going to walk you through the what you need to do to end your addiction in a healthy way by turning to real-life alternatives. It's going to teach you how to it's going to teach you how to deal with your emotions. It's going to teach you how to deal with those in healthy ways, find healthy outlets. It's going to teach you emotional control. Um, it'll help with impulsivity because that's another problem with all addictions is at the end of the day, there will be times that you don't even remember the process leading up to the point where you watched porn because it's an impulse. So I'll help you regain your control over your impulsive desire. I'll help you break down the habits that are leading up to porn because people will think, oh, I watch porn because I saw a, uh, an attractive woman on Instagram. Well, no, the problem is you got on Instagram when you were stressed after a long day because you and then you wanted to relax. You wanted to re wind down, you were still stressed, you didn't deal with that stress, and then you saw an image, and then your addict brain grabbed onto that image and said, oh, we're stressed, let's watch porn so we no longer feel stressed, and then you've watched porn. It's, it's never the image, it's always the underlying emotion. So my program helps men understand that, and that's just the program material. Outside of the material, you're also going to have 31 days of accountability and daily check-ins from yours truly, where I will be reaching out to you multiple times throughout the day. I like to tell guys I'm going to be a bit of a needy girlfriend and the fact that you're probably going to get double texted and or triple texted from me if I don't hear back from you. <laughs> and the reason being is because I know just how important accountability is in those moments. Because I remember I had accountability partners back in the day and the problem, the two biggest problems were my accountability partners were either other men who were struggling to quit porn so they cannot give me actionable, applicable advice that actually works or they were older men who had never been addicted to porn and they did not know what it was like. What would happen when my accountability partners were fellow addicts is they would not reach out to me and ask me how I was doing. And I would not reach out to them when I know I needed to. So I never expect my clients to reach out to me when they need to because A, their brain is not wired to do that. And B, the shame is so intense that they feel that way that they're just not even going to want to do it. So I'm always reaching out, especially in the mornings and the afternoon and then again in the evenings. Um, when we know that you're most likely to relapse is when you are most likely to get a message from me. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to ask you straight up, how have your urges been? How are you feeling? What's your energy like? Have you relapsed recently? Um, we, we cut straight to it. I tell guys, we hit the ground running. We hit the ground running and we hit the ground hard. So outside of the program, the 31 days of accountability and daily check-ins from yours truly, we're also going to meet on Zoom one time per week, four times total for one hour. So four one hour long Zoom calls where we dive into the nitty gritty of what's working, what's not working, and what do we need to do to take my quit porn strategies that are universally applicable time, you know, they're proven, they're effective, but because everyone's addiction is different, what do we need to do to take my quit porn strategies and apply them to your specific situation? So this is when you get into the nuance, well, can you quit porn on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I quit porn on my own, but it took forever. I've helped men quit porn in 30 days or less. Otherwise, my program would not be 31 days. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you can Google how to quit porn all you want, but the advice has to be applicable across the board. When you ask me what to do, we're going to take your unique situation, your circumstances, and your current state of being into consideration, and I'm going to tailor those strategies for you so they're guaranteed to work. So that is the 31-day Quit Porn Mastery Program sort of kind of summarized. <laughs> Love it, David. Love it. And you're the first coach I've heard who does what I do in terms of um, connecting with people via texting in between sessions. I haven't heard anybody. I thought I was the only one who did that. Because <laughs> to me, it's like, oh. how could you possibly succeed at something just talking, you know, once a week and that's it. I yeah. have to know what's happening in between or it's not going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big oh, deal. Well, accountability is huge. If you're, if you're interested in the coach and they do not offer any kind of frequent accountability, then you probably should run the other way. Agreed. I have to say, I agree. I agree. I remember when I first said I was going to do that and people were like, are you, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, there's no other way to do it. Yeah. It, it's a little bit more work. It's a little bit more strenuous on our end as the coach, because we have to keep our emotional well-being into consideration as well. But at the end of the day, 
we want to help people. And yeah. We got to help them throughout their day as Amen. not just once a week. Amen. Oh my God. Love it. So glad to hear that you do that. Well, that sounds awesome, David. That really is great. So tell everybody once again, where they can find you. Yeah. So if you want to work with me and you want to go through the 31 day quit porn mastery program, then go to enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. Once again, enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. Check out the webpage and click the big green button, fill out the application. If we're a fit to work together, we'll get on a call and I'll get you rolling. Like I said, we'll hit the ground running. Um, If you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm currently only on Twitter, social media wise. My handle is at KingDavidQPS. That's capital K on the King, capital D on the David, capital Q, capital P, capital S. And eventually, when I move on to other social media platforms, I will be under that exact same handle, so long as there are not other people ripping me off on those Mm -hmm. platforms. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Awesome. David, this has been really great. I really, really, really appreciate your coming on. And um, it was worth waiting for someone good because... Like I said, I've been wanting to do this for months and was just waiting it out. So, so glad to know you. And um, thank you for, for coming on and chatting with me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a good time. Glad you were able to have this conversation too. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thank you. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Banker Show. As always, please share this episode with at least one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, the best way to reach me is Suzanne at the Suzanne Banker Show.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.